Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Traveling through this world alone. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. <laughs> oh, dear God. Dear God, man. Get yourself together. Um, we also have Bill Graham. Woo! In a British accent, please. Oh. Uh, woohoo! I don't know. That's that's my best. That's just Mario. <laughs> <laughs> and our special guest, and probably the reason that we are already so loopy, it's Robin Barr. Hello, hello. Hello, oh. Gavna. <laughs> oh, Cheerio. Oh, God. We are here today to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Globe winner for Best Picture Drama, 1917. Oh, yeah, why not? Why shouldn't we start that way? Um, and uh, Robin Barr, you were here the last time to talk about another awards contender, uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So if people, yeah. if people it's remember, not doing that, so hot though. <laughs> yeah, which it's is just really appeared. sad. Yeah, it sucks. I um I have faith that uh it'll it'll pick up something. That movie and deserves I think, it. I think Howler is still getting continuing confidence as a director. So, you know, I look forward to seeing her, like, get these continually bigger films, you know, for the next decade or so. Because she's just knocking them out of the park. Yes. Yeah. Yes, she is. So anyway. And she uh, paid like you I said, to say that. <laughs> Michael, you're a real ally. Um, we are... <laughs> The Alliance of Women's Journalists, thank you. <laughs> we are here today to talk about 1917 by director Sam Mendes. Uh, this was co-written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns. Before we get into that, all the usual stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. And of course, we are brought to you by Mubi. The online streaming cinema, where every day their fabulous curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. The film of the day today is actually a very interesting one. It's Tower by Keith Maitland. Uh, this is a documentary from 2016 that examines yeah, this one's good. yeah the 1966 shooting at the University of Texas. Um, when uh, I think it was a uh, Chapman, mm. no Whitman, no. yeah, it's Whitman. <laughs> Uh, climbed to the tower at the University of Texas and uh, opened fire on the crowd below. Uh, the events of this shooting are captured in this documentary, which honors both the victims and survivors, and it's uniquely animated reconstruction, distilling all of the tragedy of that day in its near totality. This is a devastating yet necessary reckoning with gun violence that is currently on movie. I think it's really impressively like not gimmicky at all that despite like the really striking style too. I, I think it uh, is a case where style like absolutely enhances the substance there. 
Yeah, no, it seemed like it. And it seemed like it was uh, a lot better to do that than to do perhaps like a recreation. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, that kind of also syncs up with Tehran Taboo, another animated film that is currently on movie. Um, and then, of course, the exclusive uh, The Nun from Jacques Rivette, uh, 1966 French film. We remember the beloved actress Anna Karina, who died last month with a new restoration of one of her boldest films, an adaptation of Diderot's controversial 18th century novel. French New Wave great Jacques Rivette directed this portrait of a woman imprisoned by the institutions of her epoch. You can check out all those and more on Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. All right. Anything else to talk about before we get into our review of 1917? Are we sure we don't want to talk more about hot dog Pringles? Here's the thing. (laughs) The question was raised, what even is the taste of a hot dog? And if someone could answer that for us, either via Twitter, email, podcast at thefilmstage.com or Facebook, I would appreciate that because... As a man who's eaten hot dogs my whole life, the the fact that I've never really considered what quote unquote makes a hot dog <laughs> in the terms of flavor is now shaking sure. me to my soul. I'll tell you what it is. It's a garlic burp. Oh. A garlic burp. I don't know about that. That's what a hot dog is. If you if you haven't eaten a hot dog and then tasted it for the rest of the day, you haven't had the right hot dog. I suggest a Brett. Or a I've had Sabret. I've had Hebrew National. I've had Ballpark. I've had Nathan's. Well, you're digesting them too well. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, my cast iron stomach is uh, is not uh, up to the snuff of giving me the experience of a true hot dog. The joy of hot dogs is that it just repeats its flavor throughout the day. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it's got a half life of at least Christ. 48 hours. Wow. I want none of these hot dogs. Well, no, you're absolutely wrong because they are the best. I did a blind <laughs> taste testing of hot dogs over the summer. Nathan's was number one. Yeah, Nathan's is great. They are great. Robin, did you document this? Oh, yes, I did. I was about to say, was this for like a a piece somewhere or was this just like you and a bunch of friends? Pure enjoyment. Okay. (laughs) We weren't drunk. This was just a purely sober event. Interesting. This is amazing content right now. I just love hot dogs. I love tubular meats in all their forms. I had a dinner of tubular meats. I made penne and sausage. Nice. You had some real tubular meats, huh? (laughs) Yeah. A a ninja turtle popped out of my sink and went, whoa, bro. (laughs) That meat's tubular. And And I said, thanks. you made him into a sausage. (laughs) Thanks, Raphael. Would you like a bowl? And he said, nah, bro, I got some pizza. And then he went back down the sink. You should call a plumber about that, Brian. <laughs> Why do you call Mario? <laughs> Whoa, Mario. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So um, it's always a party when Robin's over. I didn't do anything. <laughs> you. The greatest thing is that you, it's true. You did not. You just have a Skype icon that is a picture of the can of Pringles. And you're, it has derailed us. showing my identity to the world right now. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. 1917. This film uh, was released in limited release over Christmas. 
It is now Brian gone. is a chandelier, if anybody's curious. It's the <laughs> chandelier from last year at Marion Bad. Thank you. I am a movie podcaster, it. after all. <laughs> Michael Snydell has nothing, unless the MS stands for multiple sclerosis and you're trying to raise awareness. And Bill Graham has a picture <laughs> of himself. Looks like you're mid-speech. That's, that's the way I smile. Okay, interesting. <laughs> anyway, uh, 1917 was released Christmas Day. It is now expanded wide this weekend, so we are going to talk about it. Also because it won the Golden Globe for Best Dramatic Feature and uh, continues to be nominated for and gain speed in the awards season race. And uh, we're here to talk about it. Again, this film directed by Sam Mendes and it stars... Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay. And here is the trailer. Blake, pick a man, bring your kit. I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why? All right. That is the trailer for 1917 out in theaters now. This film... It's about two soldiers in World War I who must cross dangerous territory in order to deliver a message that will save the lives of thousands. And um, I guess I don't want to call it a gimmick, but the selling point, the novelty of this film is that it is shot, filmed in a way that it appears as though it were done in one shot. Yeah, that's fair. Yes. Yeah, the conceit. The conceit. That is a great word for it. And because you picked that great word, and because you are a guest, you shall get first crack at a nutshell review. Robin Barr, what did you think of 1917? So, I really loved it, actually. Um, You know, I first want to preface by saying I don't, I think it is a very weird thing to say one has a favorite world war, but (laughs) I think... Of World War One and World War Two, we are kind of barraged with World War Two art in many ways, and and there's lots of reasons why. It's it's was the start of the Cold War, um, it created a new world world order, etc. But I feel like World War One um, was really the beginning or the end of an, a really important era um, because of the changes of the 19th century. World War One is was the culmination of that. So. I'm really happy to actually see a film that encompasses what that war meant and what that war did. Um, it was a huge turning point for technology, for example. Um, so I'm really, I'm just glad to see art about it because we kind of rarely see that. Um, and we kind of usually see it in a very dry way, I think. Um, and what I liked about it is a lot of these films, I mean, I'm thinking of like War Horse, which is also a World War One movie. Um, <laughs> we tend to see a lot of dad movies of this um and this didn't feel like a dry or sentimental dad movie i felt like it was very wild um and immersive in the way that the revenant was um and i just really really enjoyed the spectacle of it all Uh, my husband 
didn't like it as much. He said it was too close to being a single shooter video game, mm-hmm. which I've I've heard that critique before, but I don't play those. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this so even though maybe that is the closest connection he could make, that wasn't a bother to me because I don't really get to experience that very often because I'm not a video game person. So this was really a like a ride for me. Um, and I, I thought it was great. I, I wish it could have had maybe more emotions attached to it. We didn't really get to know the characters very well, but that's also kind of by design, so it's hard to fault it for that. Um, but I did think that this was a really special film. I have to second what you said, like about how weird it is to have a favorite World War. <laughs> um, but the World War One is favorite, but <laughs> I just think that, like, you know, World War Two has has been given its due. It's it's seen a lot of really great art and cinema made about it. And World War One, aside from like, um, Grand Illusion, the Grand Illusion. What's the Kubrick Wait. one? Pride, Pride and Pride, uh, Pass of Glory. Pass of Glory. Yeah. And then um, there was like a, there was a, there was like a TV movie called like the the Lost Battalion. I think that was also very good. But in general, it's like such a overtly cinematic war, which is a terrible thing to say. But like, there's just like the the concept of like the trenches and the no man's land and everything would seem to lend itself to storytelling and yet you know the the most high profile one that we've gotten recently was about a fucking horse yeah or actually the um i forget the name of it but oh my god i'm totally losing my brain right now but the guy who did lord of the rings made a documentary about world war one and i'm i'll remember they shall not grow old grow old yes and i thought this was a great compliment to that film which was very very striking peter jackson thank you thank you but yeah, so I just wanted to I, I wanted to back you up a little bit because I know that could be a weird thing to say. But I, yeah, I World War One is such an underdog. <laughs> in, in terms of the cinematic arts, it is. Every know? scene and it was kid a very knows that World War One is better than World War Two. <laughs> Every what kid? Scene kid, like a real hipster. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, hot, that's a hot topic shirt. <laughs> no, World this War Two is, like is the hot topic shirt right now. Yeah. Anyway, um, so let us uh, move on. Bill Graham, what did you think of 1917? Yeah, so I watched this at home uh, because I was blessed with a screener. Um, I thought this film was largely like held held my attention for quite a long period of time. It's just under two hours. It uh, manages to sell the conceit pretty well uh, after the first, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, you stop looking for the cuts and you just kind of settle into its pacings. And I think one of the issues that I had is this film goes for more than just like the basic premise, I think, is enough. And this film puts uh, two of these characters through hell and back in a way that I was like, I, I don't need to see it ramp up this much. Um, that being said, I still really enjoyed, uh, most of it. I think the ending though, left me a little, a little flat. Um, and of course I don't know if there's like a good way to, for this film to end because it is such a just driven, like have to make it by this kind of time 
they're under the gun the entire time. Um, and so, you know, I think the way that this film concludes is not necessarily satisfying to me, but I can't, I can't sit here and be, and pretend that like I could come up with a better ending than, than what we get. So, um, but that being said, I think the, the two main actors in this film are fantastic. Um, I think it's uh, the one of them has has been getting a lot. Uh, yeah, George McKay has got been getting a lot more just kind of praise and and things lavished his direction. And I definitely think he is the standout. But um, yeah, I, I I'm just more fascinated by the making of this, which is interesting because I listened to an interview with uh, the the cinematographer and he seemed to just kind of poo-poo everything of like how how hard and difficult this was. He's just like, no, we just made it work. It's <laughs> just like Jesus Deacons. <laughs> like make it sound difficult. Consummate professional. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah. Uh no, I, I I think this movie's good. It's it's really good and I'm sure it looks absolutely amazing on the big screen. All right, Michael Snydell. Are you sure you don't want to go back to Pringles discourse? I feel like we've uh, uh, tapped that out. I know. I shrimp know. Pringles, yeah. Maybe. Has anyone tried yeah. I, I, uh, I really, really don't like this movie. I, I, I gave it uh, two shots. Um, <laughs> not a one shot. Um, <laughs> oh, whoa, no. you're fired. <laughs> so yeah, I, I saw this first on a screener, and then I I saw it in a, a theater today, a, a pretty full theater actually. Um, so I, I I feel like a little bit of a grain of salt needs to be put here. That I'm generally not a war person, but even more than that, I have a really big problem with like the one take exhibitionism that's been like kind of all the rage in. The last few years, whether you want to point to something like Inaritu or even like foreign cinema, like Russian arc and stuff like it just if it doesn't justify its gimmick, then I'm really, really taken out of it. And and I think from the beginning, um, in terms of the incremental, like soft, loud, south, uh, uh, soft, loud, soft. Uh, pacing that did indeed remind me of like a Call of Duty campaign mission, um, as well as like the impressive but like deeply numbing rhythms of this. Like in the end, it feels like a monument to itself. And like with the addition of just kind of this stiff upper lip, like classicism of these like British actors who like show up for a few minutes. But like in this prestigious role, like the the whole thing just felt like this weird combination of a theme park ride and uh, this it, it just I felt like it had it failed to say anything uh, interesting about the time period in, in part because the whole thing is just you're constantly thinking about the the whole um the, the whole apparatus like I, I i could never get past that and i also just found it boring for long periods of time and i think that the at, at no point does the script ever feel to me 
like, you know, when you're trying to get a, a respite, um, friend of the podcast, uh, Alex Heaney, who we've had on here a number of times is, is actually the one who made me want to go back to it and try it again. Cause she is a, uh, Sam Mendes, uh, devotee. And I actually, uh, wow. watched, um, and, and she doesn't like war films. So she was a big fan of this, uh, and, and wrote quite a good review that actually that's, uh, out there now on seventh row. Um, and I also gave Jarhead a shot cause I wanted to see, it's kind of interesting cause they're both kind of anti-war films in their own way while also like presenting it with the bombast of the war that has the burden of being Bush era. <laughs> so some things haven't aged super well. But I just, I, I just, I, I, I'm like baffled how flat this is. And I think if maybe it would have isolated some of the one take stuff to even one or two sequences, uh, like particularly the final striking sequence where he ends up, uh, I won't get into spoilers, but where he sees a burning building and then sees someone coming towards him, like that sequence, I think might have benefited. But as it is, it bothered me in the same way that few war films do. Like, I would rather honestly take, like, explicit propaganda like Lone Survivor over this. Um, Because this is just as falsely, like, subversive, thinking it's like, yeah, this, this movie... Yeah, it's it's just a monument to itself, and it just made me angrier the longer it went on, and um, it's definitely going to win Best Picture. So I don't think it's going to. Yeah, I don't think it's going to either. I think something terrible is going to win. Um, yeah, like Joker. Hollywood. Like, uh, wait. So yeah, I agree with that. Joker would be a terrible <laughs> win. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be great to win. Uh, no. <laughs> yes, let's talk about this. I was super worried. I'm I'm worried that something like Jojo Rabbit's gonna come out of nowhere. Oh and... God, please no. Yeah, see, so can we all agree on something for a second? Even Before though I... I hated Hollywood way more than I dislike Jojo, I still feel like I'd rather Jojo not win over Tarantino. Any of us besides Robin made time for Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the answer to that question. <laughs> I will watch it at some point. I just like, I can't. I was um, I was listening to a podcast that we did. Oh, and uh, and it was last screener season, and I said that I accidentally got sent two versions of Bohemian Rhapsody, and I refused to watch either of them. And I said something like, "I could accidentally eat one and still be able to see this movie, and I will not do it." We actually just watched JoJo last night, so I'm not pretending that I was like some early person on this, but it's, it's fine. Okay, precious. Anyway, I loved this movie. Uh, 1917 is is brilliant. It's so good. It's it's an amazing, beautiful, moving, sweeping film that is uh, unlike most other war films that you will ever see. And um, it reminded me of something that I said the other day um, when, or not the other day, but like a couple months ago when like Midway was coming out. And everyone was like, there's a Midway movie coming out? And you watch yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And it's this CGI soup 
and it looks terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, England get, or the UK or whatever you want to call it gets Dunkirk and 1917 and the US gets Midway. Have mm. we stopped caring? Like, do we just not? Are we so cynical now that we can't even try to give our our history like a good gloss with an actual artist and like real actors and sets and things and i just don't know i just don't know but this movie is splendid this is just an immersive moving portrait of the scars and the horror of war without any of the usual bravado moments that you usually get from a war movie um even Saving Private Ryan has these like cheering rah-rah kind of moments where you kind of forget that like the movie opened with the D-Day landings and all the horror there. And instead you have guys like making bombs and putting them in socks and dipping them in tar and protecting this bridge so that Ryan can get home. Or, you know, the sniper expertly taking out the, the, the German sniper with a shot through his eyeglass. And, um... This movie has none of that. This movie just shows like the imperious, nonsensical chaos of war and the way that it uh, warps the people within it and the lands on which it is fought. And um, I think it's I think it's pretty damn great. And I look forward to fighting with Michael about this for I don't know how long we've been fighting about widows. (laughs) Just as much time as that, I guess. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) We've always been fighting about widows. We just didn't know it yet. Oh boy. Um, but yeah, no, this movie is this movie's great. This movie is is wonderful. And I I would I will vehemently defend against people who call the one shot thing a gimmick or just showing off because I think that the impact of this movie is is uh is bolstered by it. It is in fact essential to what this movie is doing and the way that this movie explicates more greatly the horrors of war. Okay. So that's my thoughts. <laughs> I agree with you. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am so glad like you're here. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's funny because I, I really liked it. And then film Twitter seems to really hate it. There was so many eye rolls during the Golden Globes. And to be fair, I'm pretty sure that most of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association did not see 1917. I think it was just the least divisive film they could have voted for. But still, I'm 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 fine that it won. Um, yeah, it wasn't my favorite film of the. It didn't make my top ten, but I still really liked it. Yeah, I would say. I mean, this is this is going to be on my top ten. So, spoiler alert for top tens that we're going to do in I don't know, like seven weeks or something. Okay. I have no idea it, when we're doing that. <laughs> it was my top thirteen, maybe. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a very good movie. It's I don't know. I like and I I went in watching it just thinking like, oh, this will be kind of fun. You know, World War One. Sam Mendes is at the very least like, yeah, yeah. I because I just didn't realize like how deep it would go. You know, I just wasn't sure if it was going to be like a first person shooter. But um, it's it's not to my mind as a person who has played first person shooters like this. This ticks none of my boxes. Um, it kind of starts off that way, but I think it subversively almost immediately undercuts that. And um, yeah, like I, I just walked out of this and I was like, oh, like that was actually a legitimately 
good movie. It wasn't just like a style exercise. It wasn't just an escalating yeah. series of Sam Mendes and 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 his cinematographer, <laughs> like you know, having fun with the different lighting and everything. Like this movie does things and shows me things that even like Avengers Endgame couldn't reach. Like with its with its multitudinous planets and alien worlds and everything, could not show me things in images as indelible and strange and frightening as what this movie does. You're just baiting me. <laughs> I'm not. This is how I feel. No, you... That last one is like, agree with me, Michael, about something. <laughs> are you going to defend? Are you going to defend Endgame, Michael? Oh, but come on, fuck you. <laughs> I wasn't. First of all, I wasn't actually trying to bait you. Not everything is about you, you solipsist. <laughs> I prefer narcissists. Come that on, that also works. <laughs> There is a scene where he wakes up in some kind of bombed out building and goes to the window. I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, and there's mm-hmm. just this beautiful shadow. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. That was so stunning to me. I mean, I, I think all the little parts add up to something more than, than what I'm trying to say is like all the little parts add up to more than the sum of the total. Um, yeah. Because it's just, there's so many little artistic choices that go in. So even though, yes, it's like, it's the horror of war and all that. There's so much inadvertent beauty in some of these. I mean, there it's, it is by design that there's beauty, but it's almost like seeing the, the horror, the beauty and the horror. It it was just really incredible. Sorry. That was circumlocated, but no, that, that whole, that, I mean, like the, the movie had been, I would say like, Good, fine to good, and then that happens. Like that whole nighttime scene where the the bombed out village is being lit mm. by the the flares that are going over and yeah. the fires. And I was just like, "Oh, we are we're in hell now!" Like this is, but it's beautiful and it's strange. And like when I think of the amount of money that play that movies have spent to try to create like these day glow weird ass places that are supposed to be like really cool to look at. And then I just think of the almost monochromatic hellscape that this movie creates with just a broken buildings and fires obscuring the sky and, and phosphorus flares going overhead. It's just like, why, why, why are we bothering with CGI when clearly there's so much and clearly I'm assuming this movie has been augmented with CGI. I'm in no way, attempting to belittle the work of CJ artists, but why, why are we going for like prog rock cover album nonsense when you can mm-hmm. still do so much with what we have here on earth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever gone to a Pink Floyd light show, Brian? Um, no, I have been to a laser light show thing. It was at Cedar point. I think it was like a, like a patriotic, under the stars type of thing. I don't know, but it was pretty awesome. I mean, I can't deny it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not to mention Rush. Rush has some really good concerts with good lights and stuff. <laughs> oh, uh, RIP. Yeah, RIP Neil. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> if you and let, Bill let me... just want to not say anything, Robin and I can just go on about how good <laughs> this movie no, is. No, 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 no. Let him shit. Let him shit on us. <laughs> It just seems, okay. I mean, I'll excuse myself on the podcast. I want Michael. I want you to to say what you think is wrong with what we said, or like what you don't like about this movie. But sometimes yeah, you do just kind of shut down if it feels like people are being too effusive about a movie. No, I'm not. I'm not shutting down. What are you, I, a hater? 
I'm trying to get a sense of okay, since since you did did push back on this uh, this possibility that it's a gimmick, I'd I'd like to know what it the entire thing being one take. Uh, I, 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 you don't have to give me an entire argument. I'm just getting a, I'm, I just want a sense of what specifically the whole movie being that, why it's helped by that. So, uh, should we get into spoilers? Can I, can I just say we're in spoilers now? Sure. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to spoil in this movie. That's yeah. also true. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're don't in spoilers this movie, now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Movies out in theaters now. Go see it. Uh, see it on the big screen. I saw it on the big screen and then I saw it twice on screener. I have seen this movie three times. Ooh, wow. Okay. I saw Holy it. You hate yourself. Uh, no. Okay. So like I watched the first time in the theater and then I watched it on the screener because I was like, mm, I might want to nominate this for some stuff. But like I too felt that maybe the emotional side was lacking. But my second view, I really connected with the characters more because I think I was less gobsmacked by like the technical like there's a point where the the camera goes over like a a um a bombed out kind i want it's like a giant fucking mud pit and i just remember being like we just looked into that mud pit and now we're in that mud pit like i just can't imagine the the shot compositions and the great digital erasure work or like whatever the hell they did to make this happen and like it took me a while to lose myself to the movie so the second time helped me to square away how much I was just blown away by the technical craft of it. And then the third time was with my parents. Mm. Um, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, because it is screener season, we are once again entering the time where I can give you my parents' reactions to the movies that we watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're just bragging you have parents. <laughs> <laughs> I um, do God, not I know love how Robin's to respond to that. <laughs> that's, yes, no, maybe. It's possible. Um, my mother and father both loved this movie. They were both very taken with it. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so we're in spoilers now. So I'll just say what I think this movie gains by having it all be done in technically like two one oneers, you know, because there is a break after he gets uh, shot and then wakes up. I think it really kind of paints this picture of the geography of war it's very easy to assume that the battles are being fought somewhere else that like every that there's like clear dividing lines between sure. what is the war and what is regular life and this movie kind of lets you know that like there is no such thing the the boundaries are porous and like it begins in this very idyllic meadow and these two soldiers are awoken and then they go down into the trenches and the, there they go through the camp first and then they go into the trenches and then they go deeper into the trenches. And it's just like it gets worse and worse the closer that you go to the front. And then they're going through no man's land. And it's just like you have spent all this time with them. So in the the, the time that it takes these men to walk, they have gone from everything looks normal to the blasted muddy corpse strewn rat infested hellscape of no man's land and you just get this idea of like how thin the veil is between safety and utter danger and then seeing them go then into the german lines <laughs> where the germans have uh, living up to their german selves 
created some real, real nice, big, strong, sturdy places for themselves. And then seeing them come out of that and once more come out into what appears to be like your standard idyllic place. It's there's just something about it. There's something about, about the Indiana Jones set piece. Is that where you're at in the movie? Yes. And then actually out further into that when they're when they're going okay. through where the guns were. But yeah, like watching all that and seeing seeing that helps you to really understand. Like it's not like they're they're at the tree and then it's like, come on, follow me. We're going to see the general. And then it cuts to them with the general. Like being with them and seeing them walk that way and seeing them just navigate the trenches and people yelling at them because they're going down the wrong trench. It mm-hmm. gives you the idea of like the grand horrible machinery that is war and the way that it kind of chews up and 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 creates this havoc and this hell that's just dropped into the middle of Earth. Yeah, it reminds me of the harrowing, I, I believe it's called at the end of the Lord of the Rings. Um and the the movie kind of reminds me of Lord of the Rings in the sense that you have like these two guys like they're going on this adventure in this idyllic countryside. Mr. Frodo. Yeah, and then it just becomes a hellscape. Um, so it's kind of condensed in that way. But I mean, at the end of the book, I think the whole message, from what I understand, is that you can't ever come back from war. Like you, like you can go physically back, but it'll never be the same. Because I think. There's something really bad that happens to the Shire at the end of the books. Like, yeah, this Shire it, has been taken over by like wild men or something. Yeah, some, something. It's. It, I think it was called the Harrowing or something. But I think it was supposed to be this big metaphor that you can never, you can't ever get rid of the traumas of something like war. Um, mm-hmm. And you look at the countryside where they go. Spoiler alert! But when they go to the. Um, little cabin or something or mm-hmm. it was like the the house that was abandoned like this was some place that somebody lived um they had a farmland they, they had cherry got trees. their water yeah exactly um it was it was uh really eye-opening i think mm-hmm. well I, I think what brian's kind of touching on is interesting because basically what's what's happening in this film for those that aren't kind of up to speed and you know, skipped ahead for whatever reason, but basically the Germans have evacuated the front line that they were once holding in an effort to basically, uh, uh, have the, I guess, uh, were we called allied forces at this time? I don't know. Um, basically to have the Englishmen rush forward thinking that they have the Germans in retreat when really they've, kind of uh buckled down and are bunkered in a little bit further down and basically it's just going to be a massacre um with this giant company that's trying to rush the german front line the new german front line um and so basically these two guys have to get that message across the former front lines and back to their new front line uh, before they uh, attack at the at the next dawn. Um, so they have like, I don't know, 17 hours or something like that to basically traverse all the, the back ends. And it, it does when when they first get through the trench warfare, all of a sudden it's just like open country that they have to traverse, which means there's nothing to hide behind. There's all of these different fortifications that they have to kind of weave around and check and make sure that, you know, there aren't any Germans just kind of hanging around because otherwise like 
you know, the, the front has moved so far ahead that now there's just kind of this just, I don't want to call it no man's land because that's already kind of in the middle of the trench warfare, but it is kind of no man's land where it's like nobody's supposed to really be there, right? Uh, it's been evacuated by the Germans, but it hasn't been secured to the point where there's any kind of other fortifications. So all of a sudden you're just wandering around and you don't know, you know, uh, who's who. So, you know, I, I think one thing that this film kind of misses on is the idea that like wait who is that person is that a good guy is that a bad guy i think they do that a little bit towards the church scene but that's mainly just simply because it's fucking pitch black and he can't see but i really wanted people like the the cherry tree sequence in particular is really interesting because like they see this dogfight happening, and then all of a sudden, the downed plane, uh, the German downed plane, ends up coming right towards them, running over this big barn, and they pull a German out, blah, 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 blah. But right after that, there's like three other soldiers that come around a corner to find um, McKay by himself, like trying to drag his former partner to, to like bury him and they don't even like pull their guns on him or anything. And like, nobody's supposed to be around right now. Well, why and would they pull you, their guns on him if they see his uniform and see him helping another British soldier? Yeah. The uniform was the thing that I would immediately think they wouldn't do anything. Also like he's I'm, not holding a gun. He <laughs> clearly is not a threat. And they're just like, oh, like it's another British person, like who we are, who we. That, that I didn't, don't know. I don't I, understand. I would, <laughs> I I would be much more uh, sketchy about anybody in any uniform. Period. Um, let alone if they're not armed. Uh, you know, there is a German uh, warplane that just got downed right there. Um, very easily, a German could don a uniform of a of a different soldier and try and just sneak back to his front line. So you're wishing um, there was like a more paranoid atmosphere in this movie, like regarding just like, I guess the, the, the movements of the lines. Yeah. A little bit because I, I just feel like anybody that like there isn't supposed to be any soldiers in this area that this company just kind of came across. And all of a sudden they're like, well, Oh, Hey, what are you doing here? You know, because well, um, they just got know. there, too. So they don't know what the hell's going on. Sure. They spent literally but... all night driving around the, the lines to try to get through. Like, mm -hmm. I don't I don't I can understand what you're saying. But I think that the fact that the the only real uncertainty comes in that 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 town scene when it's dark makes sense, because, again, it is dark and you can't tell who someone mm -hmm. is until they're right on top of you. I. I, I just remember, I think it's uh, Band of Brothers, and not to skip ahead to World War II and all of this, but I really liked what Band of Brothers did, where basically what they did in that film, and of course, you know, w with the storming of Normandy and everything like that, every time you push forward, there's potential that you're going to run into enemies or friendlies. You just don't know. And they had like a clicker that they would use. They had some kind of like cricket mechanism clicker um, that they were given as like different 
uh, invaders, and that way they could kind of talk to each other. Because, um, do is this like familiar at all? Is this from Saving Private Ryan, or is this from it's uh, both? Band of and Brothers? they have their call and response signs, but I mean that's World War Two. This is World War One. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, yes. this is a war that's on the verge. Of, they're still using trenches. They still yes. thought that they could True. get away with like forming up in lines. This was the first truly modern war that was fought on this grand of a scale in this area. Like mm-hmm. they don't know what the hell and, they're doing. It's it's all yeah, well, it's all madness. And, and they believed that there was some kind of honor and order. And that's another thing. The movie through this kind of this kind of uh, conceit of the one shot really puts through is that a lot of people have no idea what the hell's going on. Like they they mm-hmm. cannot fathom what is happening right now. You see, like the tanks blown up in no man's land and like tanks were a new thing machine guns were pretty new like this was all just hell to these people it was a confusing nonsensical experience and it's it's one of the things that played better for me on a second viewing was how george mckay's character of uh schofield kind of responds to all this he like talks about how he went home once Mm -hmm. and he almost wished that he hadn't because like go and this is i think what robin you had said like you go home and you realize that like things are sort of the same there and it's it's awful like because you either don't feel like you can be there or you don't want to leave and you wish you hadn't gone back because you know what's waiting for you. And if you hadn't known what was waiting for you previously and now you do like there's a reason that he threw out his medal of the Somme uh, for for a bottle of wine because in, <laughs> in, in, in everything that he's gone through, what is more valuable to him? A piece of tin that tells him that he was in a place and he will never forget that or the wine that might for like 40 minutes help him forget that he actually was there. Yeah. It reminds me of the, the hurt locker a little bit because the end of that film is almost this horror horrifying realization that he'll, that he wants to go back mm-hmm. uh, to Iraq because he doesn't get the same. Yeah. I guess, there's no other high being at home. Yeah. There's no other high, but this is almost analogous in that way. Like you, he talks about, going home and how horrible that is because they'll never understand um and saying goodbye is is really hard and and he's just never going to be the same person basically i thought that almost reminds me of how how kind of shocking the ending is like the when you learn when he says his family you learn what family actually means to him because it's not Mm -hmm. what i was expecting at all i almost found that to be a twist ending um, because it's his identity in so many ways is hidden from you. He's just another I, uh, anonymous soldier. Yeah, see, I, 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 guess, I agree. See, here's where I uh, that falls apart for me. I, I think that I never even got to the point where I was thinking about what the texture of warfare looked like in World War One. And I think of like another uh, another period piece about trauma, oddly this year that. I, I I liked at least how they presented that uh, decay and that ugliness was Chernobyl, which is not something I mm. I had strong feelings about. But either way, like I, that was something where I was consistently thinking about the notion of what it meant to be around these reactors and, and things like that. And I recognize mm. this is not this is not a parallel, but rather to point out that I, I think what deacon cinematography and mendy's choice it does here is it completely neuters those stakes that that anonymity you're talking about it works conceptually 
But then it also in turn feels like an old James Bond film in the sense that he's literally running across a battlefield and a sniper's just barely missing his head. And it's, it's those stakes that are usually there in a war film and are sometimes artificially and very awkwardly like communicated with killing a character we've known for a while. Like, like there are definitely ways that people do it that are very cheap. And I give this, some credit for mostly not uh, not giving into that sentimentality, though I, I thought the whole thing where the the first guy, how he stabbed because of a, an act of kindness was a little bit like uh, was a little bit, um, you know, sentimental in, in its own way as well. But or, or it's it's odd because it it's at once the nihilism of war, but also sentimental that he's trying to. Uh, help this German soldier and dies mm-hmm. for it. So, like, I, I guess that's where I'm, where I'm continually at is so many of these things that on the surface do communi- communicate this anonymity and communicate this hellish uh, atmosphere are still fetishized through Deacon cinematography. Like, there's still a kineticism to him running through the streets away from a sniper or, like, uh, or, or, or hiding around things. And, like, especially when especially when it's a buddy film for a little while, then... I, I just mean... I just <laughs> a mean buddy before, road like, trip comedy. <laughs> I the grizzled veteran the, and the pudgy new guy. <laughs> I rather mean that to point out when they're two together. Like that especially had the the feeling and um, emotional uh, framing of something like a video game in the sense that you are getting these 360 degrees things of like, oh, look, look at this detail. There's a rat right there. Oh, look, there's this uh, or excuse me. There's like a rat biting this body. Oh, no, his hand went into it. Like there's just such a a, a sense of like manicured um i, I, I such a sense of like manic manicured production and deacons is incapable of not making a beautiful shot <laughs> like this has been something i've i've had a problem with previously with some things with him i, I still don't really like 2049 um it in part because it, it feels so uh, opaque with, with his um image images which again are like indisputably beautiful but completely fail to bring me in so i'm not gonna you say that like... deacons and I, I i get that though it didn't it didn't really fit the tone of the film did it no no and Wait, i which which part I, didn't fit the tone of the film the the cinematography in general um deacons in 2049 oh i thought or well you know i don't know i i love I, I, I don't mean to derail us i i just rather am pointing out that like I think this is two sides of one. I don't like films where I feel the visible machine and there that are very true, few yes. contradictions for that. Like L- long day's journey into night is punctuated by a 45 minute one take that is entirely consciously bringing attention to it. The whole thing being a dream. Mm-hmm. So like that was something that at least felt more honest than this to me. And it's not, I, it's not like this is propaganda. It's, that's not what it is because it's because it is in its own way. You're right, like apolitical in how it kills and and like 
the violence that we're seeing around us and the sense that like we never really see a German soldier or, or, or we never see a German soldier up close other than the one time he chokes the guy what and about the pilot. Okay, you're right. The the pilot. But either way, they're not really given any humanism. But again, I don't think that necessarily speaks to propaganda, but I think it does speak to a, a muddled purpose here. Like the fact that we're going like I think in a way like Dunkirk, which is not a movie I love either, but at least I found that more interesting in terms of how it was constantly interested in eyes. It was constantly interested in the actual feeling of war is hell from moment to moment when, you know, you're on a boat and what the fuck I'm underwater now. Like, I I think that that is a much more uh, clarifying experience of, of this war is hell conceit than something like this, which is, ultimately so self-defeating to me and then ending with this sentimentality like oh even this anonymous soldier has a family it's just like i don't find that to be sentimental though but even even the final like epitaph or not the final epitaph the first credit is literally thanks to my grandfather who told us the stories like so it's not it's not something like ultimately you're bringing it into a different realm there. Like it's no longer a film solely about war. And then it's, you know, then you have the anecdotes, whether there are things like the guy who had shit on his back or the person whose ear gets bit off because of the, uh, cause of the, uh, <laughs> hair gel or whatever the fuck it is. Mm. But either way, like uh, both shampoo. of those, yes, shampoo. Thank you, Bill. Um, like both of those things again feel so calculated to me that like the possibility of how mustard gas would feel the possibility of going through these trenches. Am I totally off with a war? This is mustard gas, right? Yes. This yeah. is the mustard gas war. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Just thinking about hot dogs again. <laughs> oh, That's some like uh, molecular circle. gastronomy right there. <laughs> Give me either a way, deconstructed hot dog with a little bit of mustard gas. Some either way, onion I pearls. Think, I think that speaks to a personal flaw in the film for me that I was never once thinking about, like the actual hand-to-hand combat or the like. Not the hand-to-hand combat. The scope of battle, what it meant, like in the same way, you know, you see like a civil war movie or something and it's like, Oh, you guys are just standing there and shooting. Like it's, there's, there was none of that interaction to me because at no point was I ever able to disabuse myself of the fact that I'm seeing someone who's going to be safe for the entire movie. I'm, I'm, curious because this movie is almost entirely about attempting to avoid battle no i like yes so you're you're you you seem to be bucking against the very theme or like mission statement of this movie because you would prefer to see like a trench charge no not necessarily but i mean if we're talking about avoiding battle sorry just to be clear when you're saying avoiding battle are you saying both the 
theme is supposed to represent anti-war then, or you going another direction? I I just mean that the characters in this movie legitimately are attempting to stop a battle from happening and are also themselves hoping to avoid any kind of conflict. But it's always presented with this carefully triggered bombast. So it's not like I really have a sense that I'm watching someone avoid the shit. I'm watching a reenactment (laughs) of someone running through the shit. Like it's, there's so many layers of remove in this film that I, I thought maybe the second time, especially being in a theater would help me like, I was going to say film, (laughs) break through the film, but break through that, that membrane to try to like, and that just, that did not happen for me at all. And the longer I think about this, I I just, I, I can't find a, a, a rationale why this whole film needs to be this way other than to, to glorify itself, to etch itself in history in the same way that like, Inaritu feels like he's trying to I just do. think that's being deeply uncharitable towards everyone involved <laughs> in making this film. How so? Because this movie is about, you know, okay, we, we've sort of talked about it. Dean Charles Chapman gets knifed and he dies okay. on screen in, in another character's arms. And then this movie becomes about Lance Corporal Schofield, played by George McKay, still trying to complete this mission that he did not want to do in the first place. Sure. And... The, the whole movie is about this guy who we are watching in real time scrambling through the the detritus of battle. It, the, the, the fact that you continuously say that the movie exists in the form it does in this this Mach 1 take for no reason other than to glorify itself is unfair to the, the the characters that they built and the story they're telling. This whole movie is about the lengths that one man will go to in order to attempt to save lives because he himself has been in battle for so long. And if he can give these people this reprieve, he wants to be able to do it. And he already lost a friend in service of that goal. And we see that there's no edit hiding the 40 minutes where he was able to do something and like chill out for a little bit. It's literally nonstop for this guy. And at the end, his 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 victory is to be able to sit down under a tree, very much like the tree that he'd already been sitting down under, but with the knowledge that he has accomplished his mission and for at least a day kept thousands of people from being slaughtered. And the you don't get that. And you don't feel that weight for him if you don't see every fucking second that he is conscious during that that whole thing but the form is also constructed as each individual waypoint where you meet yeah, car- a yeah. british character actor where you're like oh here's here's someone hamming it up for a few minutes saying a few platitudes that don't mean jack shit and oh yeah we're going to do another battle sequence running to the next sequence i would be with you if i felt like there was any in the middle sense of like a a respite in the way that's like, I I already spoke about Alex Heaney's 
point of saying that the film breathes in and out. And I don't, I, I agree with that, but I think by making it a conscious effort of doing soft, loud, soft, of not breaking up that rhythm, of making it from waypoint to waypoint to the fact where he's even like, oh, thank God I met this nice French woman. And oh, by the way, I have milk for your baby. Like it's so it's so manipulative and in no way ever feel felt organic to me. Like if you want to do that, like even even the fact that when he goes through that crucible and goes down the waterfall, jumps in, or jumps in the water, goes down the waterfall, crawls over dead bodies, and look, it's a fucking male choir singer singing to everyone. Like, let's take a little break here. Like, at no point does it break that rhythm, right? And that's why I don't care about these characters is because the construction continually draws me to the fact that I I am on a segmented path where each person's a waypoint. Where each so you would feel better about that if it just cut to close-ups every now and then. Like I yes. I don't know that's it's, the weirdest goddamn thing that I no, could ever not. hear anyone no, say. No it's not because it it at least reminds you that you are watching a film and not entirely a reconstruction. As it is, this has the same mechanics as a haunted house or a theme park ride, like it, it, like a Universal Studios thing. Like that's what this reminded me of. At least the Universal Studios thing, though, you are constantly aware of the apparatus that you're strapped into. Here I'm being given the illusion that I am watching something that's supposed to represent realism, but it's so carefully constructed and never has even a moment of an illusion of spontaneity. Like it's, it's anathema to what I want in a war film. Maybe that's why I liked it. <laughs> that's possible. No, I, I mean, no, sorry, seriously. I don't mean to be, I, sorry guys. I just, that's, that's personally uh, my feeling. I got a little, I got a little, no, you're just, fine. Michael, this is the type of thing where like you, you over the course of the last couple months have come out very strongly on the side of not liking movies to feel too neat. Yes. Yeah. So I think that 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 levels up. You know, you had the same issues with that levels up. I mean, it, it levels out. It all makes sense. It's this, sure, you know, sure, you sure. don't like you don't like Rube Goldberg contraptions. You like chaos. You like nonsense. You like I do. I do. Yeah. yeah. That's um, why I like the Safdie's films a lot. <laughs> right. And yeah. you like you liked uh you didn't like Knives Out and Parasite yes. for the same reasons, but on a script level. And on this it's apparently the the narrative plotting the of the cinematography. Yeah. Well, and I have to agree with Mike in a, in a lot of ways and uh, you know, it seems like what is happening here is, you know, the more I think about it, the more video gamey I do think it it kind of feels in a way and it kind of goes back to my kind of issue is like again you what is what is the point of this plane sequence like all of this to happen i it just feels so like overboard and it feels like i'm playing an uncharted game where it's just like it's just like, whoa, look at this set piece. Like, this is fucking crazy. And it's like, I don't necessarily need that. I want that more gritty feel of, like, 
just trying to get from one place to another in a ghost town where there could be a German around any corner or there could be allied forces or whatever. Can sure. can I figure out if if it is the allied forces? Please do I want to go know. take a, a second to Wikipedia that. I just like I don't know. I felt all of that. I felt like sure. And I I I like okay, so the the part of the movie that struck me the most and you brought up like oh British character actors coming in and hamming it up. I don't think Mark Strong is hamming it up. I think that um Benedict Cumberbatch is hamming it up a little bit, but that might just because he has he's, got a scar a on his actor. Offer. So Andrew Scott, whoa, Andrew Scott, whoa. everybody saw that. Oh, movie. I love it. Hot priest. Yeah, I mean he's. he's right. Oh, is he he's hot priest? Old. I haven't watched yeah. uh, Fleabags. The Fleabags. Fleabag. I yeah. plan Fleabags. on it. Fleabags. Oh lordy. I haven't. Fleabags. I haven't watched Fleabag season one or season two. I've watched neither of the Fleabags. It's yes. fine. It's good. So, it's good. So the allied allied forces. It won't okay, change yeah. your life, like the internet might tell you, but it's good. <laughs> See, that's why I'm waiting. I want the internet to shut the fuck up about it, so I can watch it sure. and not be like, "Oh, I'm still not just a-, a mortal man." <laughs> yeah, it's not as great as everybody says, but it's good enough. Um, listen, I actually I agree with you that the waypoint thing does stand out. It's one of the reasons I really didn't like Ad Astra is because it really yeah. just felt like. Okay, mm. now I'm going to get to one more thing and there's going to be some kind of big fuck up and then I'm going to get to one more thing and something's going to get in my way. Like it was almost like this kind of annoyingly classic uh, Joseph mm-hmm. Campbell construction. So I agree with you there. But one of the things I think made that go farther for me is the fact that the movie does set up stakes in a way that were unexpected. Like I... I really did not think that little little uh, you know Dean Charles Chapman was going to get randomly killed in the middle of things. So like yeah. I really didn't know what was going to happen. What if there was some kind of just monstrosity that that happened to Schofield and then the movie picked up in a completely different way? Like I was I was open to that happening. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking that that might actually happen. Is and I think it's um, the guy from Downton Abbey mentions. Uh, no, it, I I'm trying to remember who who said it to him. It might be just um, do the context of the scene, Bill. Uh, he basically gets told to not tell everybody along his path what his actual mission is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because basically the idea from what i understood is that some people just want to fight no no he says that when he tells the colonel to not attack he needs to make sure that there are witnesses because some men just are down for the fight that's mark strong's character that's mark strong yeah Yeah, that's 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 what i'm saying sorry like you said that he shouldn't tell anyone what his mission was sure it's literally the opposite okay well he's he's basically saying that that some people would still want to fight though yes right yeah so like um, when you tell this guy you make sure there are other people around who are hearing you so there is accountability mm-hmm. because this guy might want to do it anyway and i figured because i have a black soul and i don't believe in goodness that that was how the movie was gonna end with yeah. him doing it and the yeah. guy being like well fuck you i'm doing it anyway well yeah. i mean certainly I, I lost track of like what kind of timing it was because it's it's bright and early in the day. And when they said that they will charge at dawn, I, I figured uh, it's fucking dawn. Are you not yeah. charging? I was very confused. I was that's like, actually, is there another day that um, I don't understand? That's a really that that's another thing that I kind of like about this movie is that like 
because it's in real time, he wakes up and it is dark. And over the course of just trying to get the fuck out of this town and jumping into the river, the sun comes up and the birds start singing. And as that happened, my mother sitting there in her armchair said, oh, my God, he didn't do it. Like, it's it's dawn. Mm -hmm. Like, he's already too late. And so he goes up Mm -hmm. and he's sitting there and he's listening to that song. And a bunch of people are like, hey, uh, buddy, you, you're like, you OK? And he's just like broken and he's exhausted. And he's like, I have to find the Devons. Like, I have to I have to deliver a I message thought, to the Devons. Oh, and they're like, us. we're the Devons, mate. And he's like, what? Why aren't you? I thought you were charging it down. They're like, uh, yeah, they don't send us over all at once. We're the second wave. And he gets up and he's like, holy shit, I'm not too late. Maybe for like at least half of these guys, like I have to hurry now. And I think. That that's one of another the the things that I kind of like about this movie and the fact that it takes place in one shot is that it shows you that the machinery of war is comprised of thousands of people and that when they say we attack at dawn you don't just get to magic everyone onto the field of battle you've got to sure. form up you got to wake up you got to have the last coffee you'll ever have in your entire life and then you got to walk the trench to get into position so some asshole with a pistol and a whistle can tell you to go over and yeah it was great like it was it was so great because like the reaction that my mother had was the same reaction that i had the same reaction that bill had where it's like oh the sun is up like this is dawn this is the time it is it is too late and then him finding out that it's not too late gives him that last burst and like then and then you still have the thing that mark strong said where he's like uh Make sure there are witnesses because some men are just, you know, down for the fight. And in fact, Mm -hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch does say it. He's like, no, we're still going. And he has to like shout at him, which must have been the most terrifying thing on the the earth for a Lance Corporal to shout at a colonel (laughs) to to listen to him and hand over this note. And then he's like, all right, fine. Like, so we're not doing it. Call everyone back, I guess. And then he has that little speech where he's like, you know, they tell you to go. They tell you not to go. I was really hoping today would be a good day because um, I have given up on the idea that this war will be settled by anything other than the complete and utter annihilation of one side or the other. And I am willing to lose 99% of my men as long as they lose 100% of theirs. Mm -hmm. It's dark as shit. It's really messed up. And again, his his win scenario is that he has saved these men, some of them, for a day. Many are still wounded. To, yep, and, to just basically go do this again another time. Right. Yep. They just get sure. to do it again. And not only that, but he lost his his friend, and he gets to tell his brother that he died and see how that affects him. And then he gets to go and look at his family, which is, in fact, a wife and daughter. And just think about how he may never see them again. Or that if he does, he won't be the same man who who loved them and and was with them when he left. I, I guess I was the only one who laughed when Richard Madden's <laughs> lip quivered. <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, I did laugh during the most devastating scene of marriage story, <laughs> like full on guffawed. So you're not the, the only scene where one. he punches the wall. No, where he is like, I wish you. I wish you were dead or something like that. And I just started laughing. <laughs> that is the wall punching scene, isn't it? Like when they have their their Reddit subtitle like shouting match. Was there a shouting match? I don't remember him punching the, the wall. I remember him match. being him. I remember him being like, I just wish you had died or something. I just thought it was hilarious. But I, I thought um, it was like a merciful hilarity. Like it was just so outrageous. <laughs> 
and I silly have, that I had to laugh. I have so many problems with Marriage Story. I was listening yeah. to a podcast and they were doing their top five or ten films of the year and they played that fight scene from a marriage story. And I just like cringed in my seat at work. Cause I'm like, this is worse than I remember without like their faces to sell some of the emotion. Cause he's like, you were always criticizing me. I never felt good when I was around you. And then she's like, you stole the best years of my life. And blah, blah, blah. blah. And then he's like, and then she talks about him cheating and he's like, you shouldn't be mad that I fucked her. You should be mad that I had a laugh with her. And I'm like, first of all, this isn't the fifties. No one says we had a laugh anymore. Second of all, it really is just a bunch of Reddit titles that these two characters are screaming at each other with no context and no real lived emotion. I Remember loved when he puts it. his arm though? That's pretty funny. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Intentionally hilarious. I, I thought it was hilarious. I like this movie. I just thought that part, that one part was funny because he was being so like, that's something that you could just say at the end of a fight and I would burst out laughing. At it. <laughs> like I would say it and then I would burst out laughing because it was just so over the top. And I would also never say that to my husband. Just but like, like, yes, it was It's ridiculous. just one of those things where like, once again, as someone going through a divorce who's had these thoughts and had those arguments, I'm just like, there's no way, like you can't write with a little more detail. You can't fucking figure out a way to make this not just sound like chapter titles in a handbook about people going through divorce. Y'all are so mean. Um, no, I, I really, I really like that movie too. So I, I didn't have any issues with it. So yeah, I didn't mean to like go on a, a marriage story thing, but I just wanted to like lend my empathy to Michael um, in these moments. And I want to go back to something you said earlier which was that you couldn't really put your finger on it, but that something about this movie brought brought you to Chernobyl. And I actually really agree with that. Um, there's something about the textures of these films, uh, of, of both Chernobyl and, which is not a film, it's a miniseries, and 1917, that both remind me so much of Tarkovsky. Um, mm. Did anybody else get that? Like yeah, did that a, anybody else wash over you from like sure. that oh that just I had like, a little bit of a stalker vibe in this. Yeah, stalker. That's exactly yeah. it. Like you're in this this zone um of of horrors and anything could happen at any time and nothing makes any sense and there's just like ghouls around the corner. Um it was it was really effective to me in that way. Agreed. Yeah, I, I guess I guess the thing about that is like Stalker, I feel like has this really purposeful boredom. And, and I think that this film is <laughs> too. Oh, no, I love Stalker. But and, and Mir is one of my favorite films ever. Um, but uh, shit, what was I saying? Yeah, no, like Tarkovsky, like there's a, a certain, you know, a, a languor to his, his films. And I, I think this. Uh, maybe if it slowed down, m- maybe I would stop feeling the machine, but just the the constant sense that it, even like the emotional moments are meant to have this like purpose and communicate this sense of like I, I just I, I've talked a lot about visible feeling the script and stuff, and it's just something that I can't get over these days uh, as I get older, apparently. But um, just like, it's just weird that there were moments where I was feeling like I'm being told exposition to feel empathy for these people. And it's, it was just in, in this own way, just felt all the more artificial 
But then, you know, the other weird thing is if you're honest about your artificiality, I'm all the fuck about it. So give an example. Um, the, the one that came to mind was, well, I already mentioned long day's journey into night, but, uh, I'm all about Verhoeven, the way he uses, like, campy acting to Mm -hmm. uh, dig down deeper into things. I love, uh, some of the Resident Evil movies, which in particular use the occasional blankness of Djokovic in interesting ways. I I think- what did I say? Djokovic? Djokovic. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there there are a lot of things that are coming to mind that I can't actually remember right now. This Russian My athlete's a real Djokovic. is a better film than 1917, <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I also really, really, really don't like Inarito. So, uh, so here's, here's an interesting thing. I, I am realizing more and more that I like... I, I don't want I don't want to say classical methods of storytelling, but like I love feeling the artificiality of a story like, you know, just even bringing up like Ad Astra, which then, of course, brings up like Apocalypse Now. Like, I love the Waypoint thing. I love like, oh, God, we just got through that. And now things are even worse. And Wizard the fir- of Oz. The further out. Yeah. The Wizard of Oz is similar. Like the further out we go, the more things suck. And like everyone's just like, you got to turn around. And it's like, uh, I can't. So I'm just going to go from this like hub. Like maybe that's one of the reasons why I like Westerns. Cause like you go to a sure. town and then you get like 14 minutes of peace and then you're back out in like native territory where the brigands live. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I like, you know, I just, I just don't have issues with that. And as I've, t- as I've only had to have this argument with Michael a couple times this year, and it's almost always about <laughs> scripts that he claims are too clever when I would use the term really pays off its themes. <laughs> knives out. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like you, you said like knives out and parasite. You're like, I don't know. It just feels too neat. Like it just all those payoffs yeah. for things that were done earlier and the, like mm-hmm. how everything kind of ties back into each other. And I'm like, it's a story. It's like if you were pissed <laughs> off at the well, end of Goldilocks on, and the no, three bears, because it's like, oh, you know, it just sucks that like, she liked everything the baby did, and they just kept going, and like they found the porridge, and uh, you know, Goldilocks is so can, overrated. Can, can, uh. we, can we talk about now Watchmen just a little bit? <laughs> because how the fuck are you going to complain about 1917 or Knives Out? Like you know these these nice beautiful little uh, 1917. Don't don't. It's beautiful. Don't, I wouldn't call it nice. Yeah, don't though. use that. Don't don't use that. Um, knives out and parasite and like how they fit together like a little little clock. And it's like that's what Watchmen is for eight episodes. I would say episodes. it's that for six episodes. Oh my god. Well, I don't know why we're doing this. I, anyways, like uh, Rich, I, I this podcast think... has just become a way to like try to rip apart Michael's psyche. And figure out the source of his anhedonia as it relates to movies that are too clever. Anhedonia, like that is a that is a lobster. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck it means, but it probably works. <laughs> I can't remember where I pitched die, it. Sad and alone. <laughs> I can't remember the time that I pitched that. It was like only a couple episodes ago, but I definitely pegged Michael as having anhedonia, and he is not pushed back at all. 
No, I mean, there are things. He just said he loves Resident Evil. It's like his favorite film franchise of all time. That's I, whoa. He said it was better than everything Tarkovsky did. (laughs) Damn it, I hate this podcast. He loves Mila Djokovic and her blank face. Christ. Okay. Um, no, I, I am not opposed to classical modes. In <laughs> fact, I, I quite liked uh, Peter Lou. I, I really liked er, earlier this year. I really liked Little Women. I, I liked the way that that took a story that's been told so many damn times and decided to switch up its structure, for instance. Like, there I was Michael not being an ally opposed. again. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm being an ally. <laughs> I thank you on behalf of all women. <laughs> you know what? I, I'll I'll take this as a, as a tiny victory that you're not like, oh god, Mike's being an MRA again. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, if I'm making fun of you for being too woke, that's a lot better than you being like a closeted Nazi, I guess. Don't look in my closet. Just say <laughs> some uh, Jojo Rabbit shit right here. <laughs> Okay, I, I don't, I don't it's know what you rabbit will... cosplay. I swear. <laughs> oh, Is that worse or better? <laughs> I would, I honestly think I would prefer if someone was a legitimate Nazi than if they were just looking forward to cosplaying as Jojo Rabbit. Can you imagine? At least, you know what? It's, it's lacking that sheen, right? Like you, you just prefer the. The non-artificiality. I can't remember who likes non-artificiality anymore. <laughs> Can you imagine if someone like trusts their kid as the kid from Jojo Rabbit? <laughs> oh, we just thought that movie was so special. <laughs> oh, it's just little Billy's favorite. So, so he gets to be Jojo <laughs> Rabbit and I dressed <laughs> up as Hitler. Billy. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> what, what, what I said Billy, <laughs> not Bill. <laughs> oh, my. <sighs> Hold on, I'm out of breath. <laughs> uh, you know what? You take a World War One movie and you dissolve it to giggles. That's the trajectory. I, just, I do have to say, one of the best takes I've seen is... Uh, uh, How many takes? Because if it was only one, I'm sure that it wasn't that great. Oh, Jesus Christ. This award season, we turned <laughs> World War One into a theme park ride and World War Two into a cartoon. <laughs> That's a good tweet. <sighs> That is a good tweet, but it is, I, I would argue, not true at all regarding 1917. And Mel, Brian, Mel Brooks has done rap. it way before, like, YTT. And fucking Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, it, that guy. It took me a second, because you pronounced YTT or whatever as YTT, and I was like... It's not YTT. It's Watiti. No. I'm yes. so sorry, Mr... Taika like he's YT because he's so white. This person, of color, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, Lou. All right, we're revoking your ally card. <laughs> <laughs> Walking that back. You're no longer an ally. You are at Is best it Switzerland. <laughs> Wait, how do you pronounce it seriously? I think it's Watiti. Watiti. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, you just said YTT, I... and I was like, "Is that his initials?" Because that doesn't feel like it's. No, I thought up. that was. Listen, I pronounce everything the way you would do it in Spanish because that is the only language I ever learned. So that is how you would probably ish say it in Spanish. I, I am think. deeply confused ish as thing. to how you've spent this entire podcast speaking English. 
You know what? Because my first language was Yanglish, that's why I'm just off kilter. Oh, okay. I gotcha. <sighs> so nineteen oh, seventeen. <laughs> now that we've not a Holocaust some- movie, so get your laughs elsewhere, people. Like Jojo Rabbit. <sighs> yeah. I, 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 I just I, want to say to the coworker who has asked me to watch Jojo Rabbit, I probably will watch it. I just also know it's probably not for me. Probably I am sure that some people like it. I'm just sorry to the one of my coworkers who continually listens to this, even after I told them they do not have to listen to it anymore, which is. They had to listen to it at some point, but (laughs) not anymore. No, like, you know, they could have done the obligatory. Yeah, I listen. It's good. Never have to mention it ever again. But they continue to listen. (laughs) Yeah, you sounded okay. They've now listened to it more than my partner of eight years. So (laughs) So over the Christmas break, (laughs) I am... I, I don't know, this might be anecdotal, but everyone else here, the thing you got asked about most about was definitely cats, right? Ford versus Ferrari wow, that's weird. and the Irishman. No, like every person I met who knows me is like, so did you see cats? How is cats? Like, is cats no good? I'm like, you know, there was a Star Wars movie that came out a week ago. They're like, fuck Star Wars. I want to know about cats. You know, if I would have got a cat that. screener, I can guarantee I would have watched cats. I almost went. So my daughter is in Texas right now. And there was one day when I was like, I have nothing to do. Maybe I should go catch a 2 p.m. screening of cats. <laughs> you will be on a great use watch of list. time. It's, it's so, it is so lunatic that it's fun. That's the problem. I feel like I need to see it. So I either need to do it now or I need to like wait until it's on HBO so I can like t- do it. With the windows drawn and hiding you my shame you'll have world. So many and memories. with an audience. No, no. <laughs> see it big and see it with a fellow audience because it was just laughter in the theater. It was it, it really does need that communal experience, I think. Because right. it is just so it's not good or bad. It's just it's beyond that. It's it's just crazy. It's beyond that. It's beyond good or bad. It is not good. It is not bad. It's just cats. Would it be improved if if it was one take? <laughs> I think I think your brains would explode. I would Mars sort of love that. Style. What movies would be improved by being done all in one take? Mm. Marriage Story. Oh, what? <laughs> Solo. Eight years of Marriage Story. Solo, get out of here! You people are nuts. Antichrist. All right, I'm just oh. going through the easy ones now. All right, I could tell you're a contrarian. <laughs> I actually else? adore Melancholia, but I'm generally not a Lars von Trier person. Melancholia is a I fantastic am. movie. I, I love Lars von Trier, actually. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you may have. You can revoke well, my gone. gender now. <laughs> Here, I give you my gender. Yeah, Michael's no longer an ally. You're no longer a woman. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Bill, I suppose, is still a Texan. Yes. Yeehaw. (laughs) I think most people ask me about little women. No, let's let's wrap this shit up. Let's get going. (laughs) 
I got other shit to do. We we've also we've we've uh we've promised like for three weeks in a row that we're gonna do Little Women. We are. We are. We are. Oh. oh, oh. For <laughs> bad allies, or because you have thoughts on Little Women? Oh, I just I loved Little Women, and oh, I, okay. I started out hating it, and then I loved it. It was quite <laughs> a ride. That's that's insane. Okay. That's insane. <laughs> it was it's if you I've seen every single version of it that counts, yeah, and it, that's why that it was counts. hard. What the fuck? What does that mean? Like, I'm sorry, the anime does not count. There's anime. Oh my god, I'm watching the anime. I'm so happy right now. It's on Amazon, and I watched like five minutes of it, and I was like, oh, this is shite. So I didn't bother with it. I'm actually super nervous to Google the term anime little women. No, 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 no. no, It's on Prime. You can watch it to your detriment. And it's just called Little Women? Yeah, I think it's like. Yeah, I don't know who made it. Do they fucking but... ride mech warriors or something? I, like... I literally thought they were going to say, do they fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that's the next question after the mech I warriors. I don't know. Thing. That's a different That's a different story. I like, I like Brian's priorities. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to watch an anime, it better have mech warriors or an inconscionable amount of sex. Um, <laughs> so... Wow. Shoot. I... <laughs> Much. Not just too much, or not just like enough, inconscionable. Like, like that animator must be in jail right now. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, if it's a Little Women adaptation, they yeah, should be. They should. They should. Look, um, they turn into full-grown women at some point. Right. They spin okay. around. There's magic that covers them, and then suddenly they're all grown up. I mean, that is kind of what happens. I do have a question. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Because I remember when I was very young, like I was probably like nine, I was watching TV too late and it was some anime that came on the screen and there was some kind of like sex scene between two people between a brick wall. Like they were doing it between a brick wall. And then in the scene, like just as, you know, there's a, it comes to fruition, you see (laughs) You see a like a shot of the sperms. Does this sound familiar to anybody? No, this, this like, doesn't this sound familiar. This burned into my brain for like twenty years. So like there, twenty-three. Years. You mean anime, anime fans? Please write into the film stage. I'm really uh, curious. I I can't figure it out. Like every time I Google it, it's just like impossible to Google. I will say. We <laughs> at Brian J. Rowan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send me, me send me story. youtube clips of every anime sex scene that you think might fit the bill between a wall when you say between a wall shot. do you mean that like one of them is on either side of the wall yes yes so through Physically, a wall. how does that work i don't know i assume there's some kind of not in a kink shame <laughs> no i mean literally how does that work like b- bricks are thick He's he's well into bricks are thick. <laughs> they are. <laughs> if you, I don't know. I don't. We can't. I'm not. I'm just saying. I just don't know. I just. I, but this what has been channel was my this brain. on? It might have been like Stars or like Showtime. Okay. Not HBO. Yeah, HBO would never show that film. <laughs> no, it was definitely like one of the others. Well, like, we're going to definitely talk about this more off mic because now I'm I am sorry. fascinated I'm and sorry. I need to figure this out. It's just 
you started bringing up unconscionable amount of sex in anime, and that is the first thing I think of is like this this image that literally has stuck with me for my entire life. Much like many of the images in 1917. <laughs> with, I hope there were less rats in this anime. I don't right, remember it, anything. A standard amount of rats, not an unconscionable amount of rats. <laughs> I oh, love boy. rats and movies. So. What, what, what is going on? This, this entire podcast needs to end right now. Right fucking now. That's right. Phil isn't here for here. a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, wait. All right. I, have a lot of Do, I, I feel as though um, Robin and I have won and we've proven that 1917 is objectively a great movie. Does anyone have any final any final thoughts on this film? I, I politely but strenuously disagree. <laughs> Your disagreement has been noted, and you <laughs> will receive documentation of that noting in two to seven <laughs> business weeks. Um, I just want to say we didn't really talk about it, but the score I also really liked for this oh, movie. Oh, God, I hated the score in this movie. <laughs> oh, Lordy. When Michael starts to dislike a movie, he dislikes every part of it. He's like uh, the Native American and a buffalo of hating things. <laughs> It's like the bitch eating crackers thing. It's like if you hate somebody and they're just standing there eating crackers, you're going to be like, that fucking bitch is eating crackers. Like, it doesn't matter what they're doing. <laughs> she fucking would eat some crackers right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I am getting angry, so this is crackers. possible. <laughs> Did you see the fucking font they used for the credits? Exactly. Every poster oh, okay. has the 19 above oh, okay, the 17. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Okay, let's 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 end this now. Now, 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 now. Oh, so now you're Lincoln. <laughs> Bill wants to punch bricks. Now, now, now. All right, so that is the end of this podcast. Bricks are thick. <laughs> <laughs> We've broken, Robin. Um, Nineteen Seventeen is out in theaters now. Go check it out and decide for yourself whether this movie is amazing or if you agree with Michael. So, um, <laughs> don't forget. That we are brought to you He's by such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know okay. if you are right or if you agree with Michael. <laughs> Don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi. You can get a free 30-day trial so you can watch great films like Tower and The Nun. Also, the original short, uh, Les Miserables, which uh, is uh, was adapted into the full-length feature, which has been getting a lot of uh, good notices. You could go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. Also, don't forget to go to I can Patreon. only assume they're going to get the Little Women anime next week. Oh, obviously, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we will finally know once and for all if there are mech warriors. <laughs> anyway. I think Bill just walked out. <laughs> Um, so that's it. Uh, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. And, uh, that is that. What are we, what are we talking about next week? Is it, are we going to say a hidden again, life even if we don't mean it? Or, it's either a hidden life or, uh, little women, but I think weathering with you actually comes out next week too. The don't Makoto Shinkai. Yeah, we should probably do Little Women. I feel like it's going to be in theaters for a while, but I'm kind of afraid it's not. I, I don't know. What if well, we say we'll we should do Little Women? We should do Little. Yes. Do Little. Starring Robert Downey Jr. No. I am almost done with Little Women. 
I have like 40 pages left. I am so ready to be done. Wow. Just had to put that out there. Never read the book. It's good. It's funny. Oh, interesting. Brian doesn't read. I do. Well, that's 100% (laughs) not true even a little bit. (laughs) I just want to disagree with everything you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Just start making up slanderous lies about me. Whatever. Michael doesn't have eyelids. (laughs) Brian doesn't feed his snake enough. (laughs) That sounds weird. (laughs) Oh, no. Don't feed him him, uh, Werther's butterscotches. That's all I ask. Can you ma- yeah, all right, we gotta go because I'm about to go on a whole riff about a poor snake that swallows things whole, getting butterscotch <laughs> stuck in his mouth. <laughs> Every time he opens his little mouth, the caramel's just stuck. Anyway, let's tell Oops, the fine people at home where we can be found between now and next week when we may talk about Little Women, or we may talk about uh, Weathering with You, or we may talk about Hidden Life, or we may talk about something that we haven't even discussed yet. Let's start with our guest, Robin Barr. Hi there. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Robin Barr. Um, that's R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. I'm on the Twitters. All right. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, where I never tweet, but maybe in 2020 I will. Uh, also, you can find me on the Slack channel, make it, mixing it up as always. Um, yeah. All right. That's enough. Michael Snydell. You can find me on Twitter where I've been extra bitchy lately. Uh, <laughs> at Snydell. Um, no precedent and, for that uh, on this podcast. <laughs> Not bitchy, discerning. <laughs> no, it, it's been pretty bitchy lately. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. Um, and uh, oh, what am I doing? I'm writing something next week. Uh, I am reviewing The Turning. Which is not screening for critics, so expect that at the end of the week. Oh, out. Uh, that's on the spool. That's uh, Mackenzie Davis's sort yeah, of film. I, yeah, I love Mackenzie Davis, and I'm, I'm hoping that one's fun. It's a, it's another turning of the screw riff, but I'm fine with that. Oh, that makes sense. Um, I was supposed to have a review for Underwater up last week, but I forgot about the screening because my sister came into town randomly. <laughs> and so we went out and got Mexican food, and upon trying to go to sleep that night, I said, oh no. <laughs> so, sorry guys, that didn't happen. Uh, but you can find stuff that I have written on my personal site, brianjrowan.com, also thefilmstage.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at brianjrowan. Follow me on everything, at brianjrowan. Um, you can see awesome pictures of the distillery that I'm starting with my friend and all the bottles that we've bottled thus far. Um, if you are in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area and would like a tour, uh, hit me up. Come over. Check it out. It'll be awesome. Um, and of course, you can find every episode of this here podcast at thefilmstage.com. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. Sweet.